I'm Joshua Best. I'm Jacob King. And this is Somebody Somebody Else's else's Favorite favorite Songs. Casual popular music discussions spanning the past 70 years. We talk about the music you love. And the music you should know that you may not. You are listening to episode 21, side A, of our project, Seth's On The Road. Your Mind by George Strait, which is <laughs> which is a helpful introduction to our episode about Eric Clapton. <laughs> you didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> Clearly not. Say hello, Josh. Hello, Josh. And hello, Jacob. This is Seth's On The Go. As you just heard, the police are nearby, but hopefully they won't catch us. They're not going to catch us. We're on a mission from God. Hmm. What are you making reference to? The Blues Brothers. Oh, that's right. Okay. That's a little bit of a deep cut for me. <laughs> that's where they play both kinds. Country and Western. Right, of course. And you've played Country and Western. But that's not where we're going. No, we're not. We are. Fort Worth will cross our mind. Uh, but as I've already said, this is about Eric Clapton. For uh, the Seth's guys, plus Joel, our most frequent collaborator, along with uh, top fan Alan Andrews, and also your brother will be there as well. Uh, Yes, yes. We are all going to see Eric Clapton live in concert. We will be in the same room as Eric Clapton, and I cannot believe it. Have you ever seen Eric Clapton, Josh? I have. uh, Oh, you have? But not in a... Not in a like solo with his band show uh, many years ago <clears throat> off the top of my head I want to say it was like 2008 but oh it, that's right it was, it was the Steve Winwood thing wasn't yeah it? yeah so he toured with Steve Winwood not as an opener but playing together and they they did a lot of I mean they did two thirds of the Blind Faith album you know there was only one and it was great and that would have been so awesome it, to it see was both of them really together. good and Eric did um, a few solo songs. Seems like Forever Man, Cocaine, uh, Slow Layla, or Acoustic Layla. Uh, we there's a uh, great there's a great concert album of that tour, and it's it's great. They played Little Wing, didn't they? Uh, or at least they did on the album. I I would have to check 
my my set list, which I'm currently driving, so I won't do. Probably best if you don't. So, we thought it might be fun to just share our thoughts with you, and we have no idea how this is going to turn out. Just sort of make a trip diary, Seth's on the road, as we travel to a concert, and then maybe give you sort of a wrap-up review afterwards. This was something that we were very excited about having the opportunity to do. You know, Clapton's not getting any younger. And I've always wanted to see him again doing a more career-spanning type show. Hopefully we get that. Uh, I feel certain. Now, I have not looked at any set lists. In general, I prefer not to do that so that I'll be, I can be surprised by what's coming rather than knowing exactly what's going to be played. So I have no idea, but my guess is... I mean, we know he's in the twilight of his career here, and there have even been, you know, some reports over the last couple of years that it's becoming more difficult for him to play physically. I've read that he has been having nerve pain, a lot of nerve pain, which has prevented him from playing as much, and I thought at one point I had seen an article where he had, maybe this was temporary, but he had to put down the guitar for a while simply because it was too painful. So it's good to see that he is back in the saddle, you know, enough to be able to go out and tour. Yes, but because of those things, we both decided that when we saw that there was a relatively local date for this little tour that he's doing, that it was a must that that we go. So here we are. And then I got the very exciting news last week that I had not seen and that is that somebody else that I've been wanting to see is opening for Eric Clapton and perhaps maybe we'll play with him a song or two as they've done in the past. That is the legendary Jimmy Vaughn. Dallas native. Very Dallas much so. born and raised anyway. The is he the older brother? Yes. Older brother of the late uh, guitar legend Steve Ray Vaughn. Jimmy is a unique player. I don't. I don't know, Jacob, how familiar you are with with Jimmy Vaughn's work. Not a whole lot. But he. Uh, let's let's start there as we visit about this, since he'll be the opener. Let's talk about the opener a little bit. Uh, Jimmy Vaughn, of of course, as Jacob said, born in Dallas, older brother of Stevie Ray. The inspiration for Stevie Ray picking up a guitar and left left Dallas to go to Austin at 19 and played in several bands in the late 60s and early 70s around the Austin area, but didn't, didn't really hit it off and didn't really find a, a, a big following or anything like that until he met someone that would change the trajectory uh, of his career, and that is, of course, the main collaborator and the heart and soul behind the fabulous Thunderbirds, uh, harpist and big burly tough dude, Kim Wilson. And they, of course, formed the fabulous Thunderbirds, and just a number of really great Texas blues rock roadhouse blues rock albums 
they're all great. Used to listen to them a lot, but they still didn't quite. They still didn't quite make it, right? So, in about '82 or so, going off the top of my head here, little brother Stevie releases Texas Flood, and immediately surpasses Big Brother. Yeah, almost immediately. And you know, his legend would grow from there, obviously. But that that album was on the National Blues radar. But both of the Vaughn brothers uh, were principally influenced by the the bluesman named King. Any of them, yeah. Well, except bluesmen. Yes. B.B. King, Albert King, and Freddie King. And uh, Larry King. Oh, no. Uh, no, he's a different blues guy. Oh, okay. Don King. No. 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 So just Albert, Freddie, and BB. Well, I mean, as far as saying. I know, Larry, Larry I King didn't have any. I don't think he ever played guitar. I don't think he did either. <laughs> he's dead, you know. Yes. Recently. <laughs> So that was an interesting little. <laughs> so at a point just a few years later, the fabulous Thunderbirds finally did hit it big and released one of my favorite albums. I it's not a it's not like a top twenty or anything, but it's definitely an album that I'm very fond of and will listen to with some regularity. I believe it was 1986 when they released Tough Enough. In fact, let's take this opportunity uh, as we're talking about Jimmy to, to play a little Tough Enough.
work this the same way. Oh, so. fair enough. <laughs> so that, of course, was their massive hit, Tough Enough, which uh, I know Jacob's familiar with that song and also with the other hit, which was a cover of Sam and Dave's uh, Wrap It Up, written, of course, by Isaac yeah. Hayes. And the, but really, the whole album is just a great blues rock album. But it Very really, 80s as well. I it is. Pop, blues, rock type of thing. What was funny is, as part of that, you should go and check out the music video for Tough Enough. Because there is a sense in that, even though they had not had a, a, a previous career like ZZ Top, they did videos that felt very much like what ZZ Top did. Oh, sorry, ZZ somebody did. just cut in front of us. Uh, road Rage will be recorded. You you do have low-key road no, rage. No, I, I don't have any low-key road rage. I have high-key road rage. You're a little aggressive. These, <laughs> these people need to get out of my way. And they need to not drive 50 in the left-hand lane. Are you tough enough? Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be some head. Anyway, so... <laughs> what were we saying? Okay, so, similar to ZZ Top, their videos, particularly the one for Tough Enough, had had a... Of course, it's a, there's a lot of bravado in that song anyway, yeah. you know. And that's kind of what the T-Birds were, were all about. And there's all these these uh, scantily clad women dancing around and, and, and Ken Wilson's just singing. I mean, he's just, and he's got this way, he's got his hair slicked back. I think he's wearing a beret. And of course, Jimmy has got that greaser look and always yeah. has. And it's just cool. I mean, they're just so much cool, but they were sort of like ZZ Top with with the presentation that went along with that. And, and here they go. They're about to be as big as Stevie Ray had become for sure. And they had a couple of follow-up albums to Tough Enough, which are both good, called uh, 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 Hot Stuff, no, Hot Number, and Powerful Stuff. And all three of those albums, Tough Enough, Hot Number, and Powerful Stuff, are all worth your time. But after that, as they attempted to, to, to grab into that commercial thing, Jimmy had just about had enough, and so he left the Fabulous Thunderbirds and recorded an album with his brother. Oh, yeah, okay. So it was he left Thunderbirds and then he recorded this album. He did, and the album was in the can and ready for release in 1990 when, of course, Stevie Ray was died and uh, was killed in a helicopter crash. And it's it's a joyous album. It, it, it is joyous. It, it's, it's very it's positive. Wonderful. Really nice themes in the songs and just sounds like they're just having a lot of fun the whole way through. It's Texas, it's those guys, it's what they both do well. You can hear uh, the, the songs that are primarily Stevie's, you can hear the songs that are primarily Jimmy's and you know. But they've also got several jams in there of just the two of them playing back and forth that if you're a guitar player or a guitar lover, Stuff like DFW and Hillbillies from Outer Space and things like that, uh, Brothers. It's just, it's just great. Um, and I thought about playing uh, a Vaughn Brothers song for you, but I, I changed my mind. I think what I want to do to kind of just polish off the, the Jimmy discussion 
is a after Stevie Ray dies and the Vaughn Brothers album's a big hit, uh, TikTok was all over the radio. N no, not the TikTok. Not T-I-K-T-O-K? But TikTok people, time's ticking away. We've talked about that song on the show before. We hadn't played it, but we did talk about it. Um, anyway, big hit, very sad, and Jimmy takes a couple of years off, and just to kind of mourn and recover. So, uh, 1994 rolls around, and Jimmy finally releases his first solo album, and I think uh, I want to play the opening cut off of that album because I think it well encapsulates encapsulates <laughs> capillaries. What the? You mean I encapsulates? Think it well encapsulates uh, a few things. Primarily, the influence that Jimmy had over the sound of the Thunderbirds. Now, make make no mistake, the the. Uh, the heart and soul of the Thunderbirds was Kim Wilson, and as far as I know, still is. They continued to play, and in fact, uh, after Jimmy left, I saw the fabulous Thunderbirds in Longview at Alley Fest. Oh, is that how low they had stooped? <laughs> um, it was awesome. I cannot tell you how awesome it was. It was, I bet it was. so good uh, because he, Kim Wilson, is a great entertainer. In fact. He's the only person I ever saw while the band took a break. He stayed out and just played the harmonica and held down the break time by just performing on the harmonica. Wow. That's what a good harmonica player is. It was awesome. But anyway, that's a that's a side point. Um, this, this shows just how much influence Jimmy had on the sound of the Fabulous Thunderbirds and also um, what is different about his playing versus Jimmy's, or excuse me, Stevie Ray's very bluesy. I mean, Jimmy's a blues band too, but uh, he has, let's say he's a more economical player. I noticed that. Economical? Econ economical, yeah. Economical. He's, that word sounds weird. It's more efficient. He's not, he's He's not filling the air with notes 100% of the time. Yes, he's, he is, he's not a flashy Less player. Less is more type. Um, and, you know, Stevie Ray was definitely a flashy player, but not in a negative way. No. Um, but that's just how it was. And though. aggressive. Yeah. So this this is a lead track from his 1994 uh, debut album, Strange Pleasure. This song is called Boom Bapa Boom. Sugar cube, oh, you. 
if it takes all night, even if it takes all day. Also a strad player yes. predominantly, like his brother. Yes. And he actually he has his as you know, he has a he has a signature fender guitar. That doesn't uh, surprise me. Yeah. That's and that's no that's no small uh, feat to have your own, you know, signature fender guitar. It's probably so a pretty not, short list. Not just any yeah. I mean at least as far as does it keep getting produced for years. Mm-hmm. You know. Stephen Ray Vaughan has one that's in production still, and so does Eric Clapton. And Jimmy Vaughan has had it as well, so that's that's kind of a cool thing to me. That album, uh, I went out and got it, you know, as soon as it came out, and listened to it a lot. Somewhere I've probably still got that CD, I don't know, but um, that album also featured a song called Six Strings Down, which you may have heard before. It was written by two of the Neville brothers, and it's a tribute to to Stevie Ray. Um, Heaven Dunn called another blues stringer back home, and Jimmy has been playing it ever since. And if you go out, you can see him playing it with Clapton and BB and 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 and. It just goes on. Yeah. I will be shocked if he doesn't play six strings down tonight. So you clearly know a lot about Jimmy Vaughn 
as you have spouted out, um, you have, excuse me, that doesn't have a nice connotation. <laughs> spewed forth. You have <laughs> spewed. You have word puked for the last 20 minutes. You have spewed, not miss, but information. Okay, but clearly you know what you're talking about because usually on when we're recording the shows more formally, you know, we both have some notes or whatever. Sure. We can pull up whatever. But you have kept your eyes on the road and you have given us lots of great information about Jimmy Vaughn. Well, I've been a fan a long time. Clearly. And, uh, yeah, that's... I'm very, very excited uh, to be able to see him. Uh, you know, every once in a while he plays at the Kessler in, in Dallas. And I guess we should point out that this is not the Seth's guy's first return to concert since the Pandy. In fact, we were at a show just uh, three nights ago. As on the, on this day that we're recording, it is September 13th, Monday. But yes, last Friday, that would be the 10th, we, we returned to concert going again. We saw one of our favorites, Bob Schneider, the subject of our what, two episodes ago? Something, Something like, like that, that. yeah. Uh, it was an awesome show. Uh, Sarah had never seen Bob Schneider in that type of setting. We were hoping it was going to be full band, but it was just him. It was a great show. Always great. Before The week before that, me and Sarah went into Dallas again, and we saw Wicked. Um, it was the touring production, and we enjoyed that. Um, we we're right in the midst of a, of a heavy schedule of concerts. Tonight, Eric Clapton... And on Friday, we'll be back in Dallas again to see Counting Crows. And you will be hearing from us on that trip as well. So I hope that all, all things work out just fine where everything will be able to proceed. We still, of course, have Pandy ongoing, but depending on the venue and the artist and everything, whatever precautions are in place... Hopefully, we'll avoid any super spreading. <laughs> yes, that that is obviously everyone's concern. You know, if everybody does their part, then we can go back to um, being able to enjoy these things that we had enjoyed before: concerts and events and lots of fun things. So, so excited to be back into into live music and and seeing live music, and we're getting the ball rolling with a with a big one tonight. As Jacob said, Jimmy Vaughn is someone that I I love, and he he will often play, well, maybe once a year, at the Kessler in Dallas, which, as you saw on Friday night when we were there, is not a big venue. No, I always had it in my head that it was a fairly large place. It's not like it was huge, but we walk in the room, and it's a very small, intimate, two rows of some tables and then some chairs. And, but small, like any any seat in the room would be a good seat. Yes. I was thinking how much fun it would be to see anybody with a full band in a place like that. So maybe we'll catch a Jimmy Vaughn show sometime. That'll be kind of fun. Yes, I, I was hoping for it to be that type of venue, but I'm not going to be particular. I'm excited to be able to see him, and uh, I well, think, obviously, I'm enthused. So. Dickey's Arena is not like it's it's not a stadium. I mean, it's, no, it's not, not as big as, like, American Airlines We're not Center. going to Jerry World. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, we're not going to American Airlines. I think it's smaller than that. I think oh, yeah. the capacity is much smaller. It, it is. I think they do rodeos there. They, they do, and so. uh, probably semi-professional basketball and hockey and stuff like that. There you go. Um, in fact, I, I'm i going off off of uh, script now, but 
maybe there's even a, a semi-pro hockey team in Fort Worth, and that may be one of the main residents for some reason of the arena. That's ringing a bell. I'm not sure. Well, in contrast, we saw Paul McCartney in 2016. We saw him at American Airlines, and uh, he, it's... <laughs> I mean, they hold more than 20,000 people, yeah. I'm sure, when yeah. they're doing a concert. Yes. They hold nearly 20 with the basketball game going, I think. Yeah, they, they get 20 in there for, so for basketball. So, this will be a much smaller venue, and I hear that we've got good seats. So, as I said about Paul McCartney, just, just to be in the same room as a legendary figure like Eric Clapton, um, as we've already said on the show... I mean, I think Rolling Stones, for all their problems with their lists, they, they put him number two, greatest guitarist of all time. I would say he deserves to be number one, but then again, you're just splitting hairs at that point. Sure. So great is Eric Clapton, and so long, um, he's been at it for so long. He got started in the early 60s, and just been through so many different um, eras in, in music in the 19th, 20th century, excuse me. And as you have referred to him, he is certainly a, a um, an elder statesman of rock and roll and of the guitar. Right. And is is probably my favorite guitarist. I have to say, uh, so much of his music I've just so enjoyed for so long. Well, it's he's been around for so long that if you if you give points for that, then that's going to give him an edge over um, over just about anybody because the influence over rock and popular music in general, there are few guitar players who have, have had such such great influence. And longevity. And yeah, and, and longevity. So or for such a long time, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your experience in where you first became familiar with Clapton. Was it was it through solo stuff? Was it through um, your mom's playing music? Was it through you know, grandparents? Where, where did that come from for you? I have no idea, to be honest with you. Okay. It's likely that I... You know, there are certain songs out in the world that people just know. They get it in the milieu. <laughs> yes, in the milieu. Uh, so, you know, a song like Layla is going to be one that most people probably know that's that may be one of his most popular songs overall also wonderful tonight that's a big one that is out in the in the world that gets played on the radio and all that it might be likely that i first heard him and not realized it whenever i was hearing the solo on whilst my guitar gently weeps so I, I can't pinpoint it, but especially as I have been interested in guitar, especially as I've gotten older, I've been collecting records. I, I've collected his records. Um, his uh, album, uh, Derek and the Dominoes, is a particular favorite. Um, and as well as his album with John Mayall and the Blues Breakers is awesome. And his early work in the 70s and then his album Journeyman. I mean, I could go on and list a bunch of stuff of his that I really like. I know Journeyman's a particular favorite of yours. Yes, it, it is. It's amazing you start talking about his solo output in the 70s and, you know, obviously Slow Hand is probably the 
album, if you're going to buy one album. Like of, peak 70s, Eric Clapton? Yeah. Yeah, I would say probably, so. That's probably it. Uh, I, I absolutely don't care if I ever hear Wonderful Tonight ever again for the rest of my it, life. It wouldn't bother me at all if I never heard that song again. And, you know, Lay Down Sally is fine. It's on there. That's a good one. But the best... The best song of that album the for core. me is the core. The core, no question. Hold on, I hold on. Let, love let, the core. Let's stop and play that one. I think we should.
it's awesome. Love it. It's that's um, that's an album that I wish I could get on vinyl. I have yet to find it. Really? Yeah. I saw when I was at um, at Josie Records in Dallas. Um, we try to go every time we go to Dallas. And one time I found a copy of it there, but it was just too banged up. I didn't want it. But I would love to be able to collect all of his records, just like I have for Paul McCartney <laughs> or the Beatles. Well, in the meantime, once I, you get your turntable repaired, you're yes. welcome to borrow my vinyl copy of Soul. Oh, that's right. You do have it, don't you? I do. And you've always said how particularly awesome it is to listen to the core on vinyl. Yes. Yes. So Absolutely. It's great. Just based off of you saying that, that's why I thought, you know what? I need, I need to go out and find me a copy of it. Yeah, you need that one. And that reminded me of what my original point was, which I had totally forgotten once I started thinking about the core. <laughs> and that was you talking about his 70s output and how he had had a very complete musical career before he ever did that. He he's re, We already talked about this in, um, when we were talking about Cream, I think. Mm -hmm. But an episode or two ago that he's reinvented himself so many times. You know, he starts with the Yardbirds, and, I mean, talk about... And by the way, they became Led Zeppelin. In, eventually. Not exactly. <laughs> that, not exactly. <laughs> so, the Yardbirds spawned three of the greatest guitar players in the history of rock. Eric Clapton, uh, Jeff, Beck, Jeff Beck, and Jimmy Page. Right. So, when Jimmy Page formed Led Zeppelin, it was originally going to be called the, the New, New Yardbirds. Yardbirds. Yeah. And... I don't remember. Spurious link, maybe, but. I don't remember if it was. I want to say it was either John Entwistle or Keith Moon. Maybe it was John Entwistle who said he thought that the concept would go over like a Led Zeppelin. And Yeah, I think it was him. I think it was. We can, Here, I have a phone. I could look he it can, up. He can do I? the checking on that and see if that's right. But the Yardbirds, of course, Clapton left the Yardbirds because they became too commercial. And in fact, the I think the hit for your love, which most people know, um, was kind of the last straw. And you know, he goes through the rest of the '60s with some of these bands that that uh, that Jacob has mentioned, uh, with Cream and Delaney and Bonnie and John Mayall and uh, of course, Dominoes. Blind Faith, and in throughout through the '60s. Then, of course, Derek and the Dominoes in the '70s and a solo career from from there. So here's from Wikipedia. Uh, one account of how the new band's name was chosen held that Moon and Entwistle had suggested that a supergroup with Page and Beck would go down like a lead balloon. The group dropped the A in lead at the suggestion of Peter Grant so that the those unfamiliar with the term would not pronounce it lead. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good idea. Lead balloon. <laughs> Hey, if we ever... that This would be funny. If somebody had an idea for a Led Zeppelin cover band, they could call it Lead Balloon. Lead Balloon. <laughs> this is so off topic. Uh, but the word balloon was replaced by Zeppelin. So, that's interesting. But maybe it's a bit of a... It's, it's a spurious link to connect the Yardbirds to the new Yardbirds and Led Zeppelin. But it is true what you're saying, that from the ashes of that group spawned, yeah, three great guitarists. And from 
the Yardbirds, where did he go next to Eric Clapton? I believe it was to... Traffic. No. Or Blind Faith. No. Cream preceded both Traffic and Blind Faith. Um, but Clapton wasn't in Traffic. No, I'm getting that mixed up. We're back on Steve Winwood. Steve Winwood was, was in Traffic and, and Blind Faith. Faith. I, I want to say that from there he goes to Delaney and Bonnie. Yep. And then John Mayall. The Yardbirds, the Blues Breakers, Cream, Blind Faith, Delaney and Bonnie, etc. Okay, and, and then Delaney Derek, and later. Yeah, and then Derek and the Dominoes for one album, and then on his own after that. So and I don't. All of, all of those are so different. But, well, not so different, but it's a, it's a pretty interesting progression from, you know, blues and blues rock, and then he goes to folk. And country-ish, but then returns to something more like blues rock with Derek and the Dominoes. I mean, I would call it that. And then he goes, he gets, he gets like folk and country and and um, you know blues rock mixed all in together with several of his his projects in the in the seventies, doesn't he? Yeah, and you've mentioned it here and we've talked about it before the way the sound changes and updates uh, there's a, a particular favorite I think of both of us is is Clapton's late 80s and early 90s uh, tone it, it just that's what sounds like Eric Clapton whether to me whether it's you know on journeyman on something like pretending or whether it's on some of his many guest appearances uh, such as Runaway Train by Elton John which was all over the radio in the, in the early 90s it's just you hear Clapton and you know it's Clapton yeah so in, in fact his his brand like the sound of his album Journeyman with the the loud guitar with there's chorus on it the big amps um but then you also have the the drum sound and the um, the synthesizers and everything. To me, that's my favorite type of '80s music. Is is that stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that he didn't come up with it, but Lando Lakes. Cream and butter, Lando Lakes. <laughs> Cream and butter, Lando Lakes. He, I'm not saying that Eric Clapton pioneered pioneered that sound make the argument as we have before that it was David Bowie on his album uh, Let's Dance. Yeah. But it's a sound that I love and are you going to play it? Um, are you, why are you looking up Rush? Uh, that's the name of the album, sir. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I thought, what the? Why would you be doing that? What kind of joke are you trying to make? Uh, no, you know that I will not be playing Rush. So, here's from that time frame, uh, the, after well, let, let's let's back up. So it's important, I think, to talk about how the late '80s and early '90s, along with being one of our favorite time periods, and and Jacob's favorite kind of music from that time frame, and I would certainly agree with that. Uh, how important what was going on with Clapton then was to bridge him from being kind of almost an afterthought throughout the 80s into being the legend for a second time and and that's when his elder statesman period begins 
and it, it really started with a box set that was put out. Are you, is this the, um, maybe I didn't realize it was a box set because I've only seen it on streaming, but the black album with the red lettering? No, no, the no. signature? No, that, that's, uh, that's uh, a compilation that would, that's also what his autobiography looks like, and I think right. that was released along with that. Yeah. This okay. was uh, a, a four CD set, gray cover, called Crossroads, of course. Okay. And it was career spanning, and it was, I believe they issued, I don't, I think it was a new recording at the song. You know the song, um, uh, Promises? Um, yes. I don't, I don't care if you never come home. I don't care if you're running yeah. away on a distance I don't love you and you don't love yeah. me. Okay. That's from, that was, that's from his, that's from the early 70s, I believe. Well, that, I believe, was released as part of that boxed set. And... little more core for us there. Um, but that is what started to get him back on the map. And then it was unplugged, which was... That, that was huge for him. Massive. And I have I'm, I have that on vinyl. It, it's not original, but it's a reissue. But it's really cool on vinyl. So, what's funny is, of course, he re-records Layla, and it was a huge, massive hit. It's all over MTV VH1. It's played everywhere, and you know what? He's on the map. That reminds me. I think that that my mom actually had that on CD or cassette. So maybe I listened. Maybe I was listening to that when I was little, it, or something like that. It very well could be. But it, that, that, that was a huge where... success for him, and I believe it was a huge success for for Unplugged in general. I think he wasn't he. I thought maybe I read he was the first major um, artist they could get to do the show. He was he was not the first, but he was, I believe, the most successful. The first artist to to put out an Unplugged album was subtitled the official bootleg to prevent it from being bootlegged and it was Paul McCartney. That's right. So he was the first unplugged as in from from the show. From the show. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And so McCartney knew it'd be bootlegged, so he just put out an album and called it the official bootleg, unplugged the official <laughs> bootleg. And so, you know, that but that him and Clapton led the way into more established artists being part of the MTV Unplugged. It was a big deal. You know, back through through the '90s, you know, Nirvana very famously. Even though we uh, hated unplugged. to do it, it was you know, all kinds of stuff going on then. So, um, but then of course he had Tears in Heaven, which is the ballad about the death of his uh, young son. Highly unfortunate. He, he fell, fell out of a building. Yeah, he fell a long ways. Uh, I just I can't even he fathom was, that. He was not even. He was. Young, around five, oh, three, five or I something. Think. Yeah, three or three to five in that range. Yeah, but that song appeared on a soundtrack album. The movie was called Rush. Okay, so and <laughs> there's the connection. Let's stop and play Tom Sawyer about Rush. Let's not. <laughs> well, you, you won't get to choose. There was a, that's true. That's true. If he did it, he did it under protest. But that album was. A soundtrack album and so it didn't 
it wasn't really out there much. But there was a song that got a little radio play that that sounds like Clapton of the time that given the fact that it's on that album, I think Jacob's probably never heard, so I wanted to play it for him. It's called Help Me Up. Okay.
right up my alley. It's just it's the sound I just described. I thought of it while you were talking about it yeah. and said, you know, I hadn't heard that in a long time. I bet Jacob would nope. like it. But I was pretty sure you wouldn't have heard it before because that's not on a mainstream album. But no. we definitely had that CD because that's where Tears in Heaven could be found. And I didn't believe in buying CD singles because I thought they were stupid. You could you used to could buy CD singles? We've talked about that before. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Every yeah, once I guess in a while, I forgot about that. you'd have to you'd have to buy a CD single to get a, a rarity. Like, um, um, I, I bought the CD single. You don't know how it feels because from Tom Petty in '94 because it had. Sorry, listener. <laughs> I bought the CD single of I believe it was You Don't Know How It Feels in '94 because it had Girl on LSD on it. That was oh, the that only way it was one. available. That would be how to get that, huh? Yeah. Uh, CD singles. Well, anyway, that's awesome. Well, so it goes from there, I guess, and we, we talked about it in, in one of the other episodes, how he released From the Cradle, which is an album of blues songs. Blues standards. And you get blues on Top 40 Radio, which I think is one of the most amazing accomplishments of his which, career. Which, but that that only goes to show you that if you're Eric Clapton, you're going to get on the radio to some degree. It, it's amazing because that, that had not been the case for a while, and then here he comes back with, with boom, Layla, boom, Tears in Heaven, boom. Um, well, that's the, I mean, if, you, if you're a guy who, you're being introduced to a new generation, basically. Yeah. When you get Layla in there, and um, Tears in Heaven, and, um, you know, Change the World, stuff like that. Well, you've introduced yourself to a new generation, and now you can sneak other stuff in there. Like because you're Eric Clapton, then people are going to listen to yeah. stuff that they wouldn't they wouldn't listen to otherwise. And there's and that's and the power of an and, artist covering yes. stuff like that. And and he does a lot of interesting things in the '90s that aren't aren't really you know that well regarded, but right. are still interesting. Yeah. Um, something like Pilgrim is generally pretty low on the list, but something like My Father's Eyes, I mean, that's a good song. Yeah. And he, he goes and does Change the World with Babyface, and that's that's, that's a, a great song. song. And not to mention how he has, this is I guess a separate point, but his influence um, on playing certain songs and how they can bring other artists into the spotlight where they wouldn't, where they would probably be generally more obscure otherwise. And I'm talking about J.J. Cale. Yeah. So many songs that I had no idea they were J.J. Cale songs. Like one of my favorite Clapton songs, Cocaine, was written by J.J. Cale and performed by J.J. Cale originally. Also, After Midnight was was a big hit for Eric Clapton in like 1971, I believe. And J.J. Cale was living in a trailer park um, withering away and certainly here's a song on the radio it's my song it's, as the story goes anyway as I remember it but I don't know what else there is to say well everybody knows Eric Clapton we've just we've uh, talked about him a little bit as well as with Jimmy Vaughn kind of career career summarizing and the enthusiasm that we've got for for what we're about to do so so, so before we end this segment what do you? Well, let's go to maybe what you hope to hear tonight. Okay. Um, oh, first I was going to tell another story. Um, the the acoustic Layla. 
which became ubiquitous through the 90s and even into the 2000s, you still will hear yeah. Acoustic Layla played, you know, in stores and things like that. <laughs> One time when I was driving the kids to school, Joel was probably, I'm going to say six or seven years old, and Derek and the Dominoes Layla comes on. And of course, I turn it up, and he said, what is this ghetto version of Layla? What? He had never heard it before. All he had heard was the acoustic version. <laughs> I thought, I have erred. You indeed have erred. <laughs> it just had never come up. Wow. And that's what he said, what is this ghetto version of Layla? Like, no, no, this is this is the fountainhead. This is the original. They're both great. A teachable you know what? moment. It was. It is great. They... they... They actually can each stand alone. They they can. It's two different songs, and yeah. it's great. And since Joel's not here in the car with us to sing Glory Days when I do this, I followed up my junior year pop concert performance of White Room that we talked about yeah. my senior year with singing Acoustic Layla. Oh, really? Yes, I, I did. didn't know that. I did, and uh, I was going to I was going to select background singers, so. I got a stool, I sat down on the stool, I sang Layla, and I looked around the ensemble that we had and picked the three hottest girls and said, y'all come sing. (laughs) And they were great. They were much better than I was. But all these many years later and knowing they're not listening, although I'm friends with all of them on Facebook, thank you to Yvette, Jessica, and Julie. Three hot girls. were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a video of this? So, um, I've I've got a video on VHS somewhere of it. <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to locate it. But uh, I think I I probably told the blader that that was the criteria. Of course they were in the group, they could all sing. But I wanted the best looking background singers I could find and those are the ones I picked. <laughs> Okay, so your question actually was, is what do I hope to hear tonight? Um, you know, I think my, my hope is kind of based on something we talked about earlier, that it will be career a career retrospective. I mean, you know he's got to be looking at, at this as, I mean, he's not calling it a farewell tour. It's he, just he, some dates. but You know, he may not be around to that yet, yeah. but you have to think. Like we've said, I've had to say recently that nobody lives forever. So, I mean, he's, he's not getting any younger. So, the time is now. Yeah. And I, and I hope that that's exactly what he's going to do. That he's he's going to use uh, this as an opportunity to just sort of celebrate all the points of his catalog. Going back to uh, some, some Cream songs, 70s songs. You know, I think there are probably certain things he has to play. Well, there are certain things we're bound to hear. We're, we're probably going to hear Layla. We're probably going to hear... I certainly you hope know, so. Wonderful Tonight. That's objectively his probably his biggest song. Probably. Not object- well, I guess when you look at it as far as the po- enduring popularity. All right. Now, merging and talking... This is very good. Yeah, we're we're getting it. We've we've talked. You've we've you've heard our discussions all the way from Lindale to now. We're getting into Dallas, so we. <laughs> and we're entering the fray, are we, we not? Are entering the fray. <laughs> so, 
we'll go ahead and, and wrap up this segment. Well, what about you? What do you want? Well, to hear? that's what I was going to say. Okay. You know, I I don't really have any expectations. I think it would be cool to hear something off of Derek and the Dominoes. Uh, Layla obviously is on that album, but I'm talking about something different, and that's unlikely. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think I've ever studied. I don't think I've ever tried to look up a set list from any of his shows. If he did, my guess would be that it would be Bill Bottom Blues. I love that song. That would be the most the most likely candidate. You know, other than that, I just think it's going to be fun to just see the man himself. Agreed. I, I don't like. This was not something that I expected to be able to to do. Yeah. Just to attend an Eric Clapton concert. So, yeah, I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to, uh, you know, sing along to the music and going to clap and cheer and, uh, you know, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Absolutely. So, let's um, let's play for you. Um, oh, you beat me too and I was going to play something. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I want to play a song from Derek and the Dominoes. Um, it's going to be... Uh, keep on growing and uh, we will be back again uh, in a couple hours time to discuss a little bit more before the concert begins yes
So we are now uh, just a couple of hours ahead of concert time, and we have joined the other members of our party. We are here with our usual collaborator, Joel. Hello. And <laughs> I was not prepped on this. One of the largest Seth fans that there is. This is the top Seth. The top Seth fan <laughs> who's not Turn one of our mothers. Yeah. <laughs> Funny way to say the only Sefs fan. <laughs> no, our mothers are fans, but I guarantee you this one listens more than our wives do. This is Alan Andrews. Hello, my Hello. friends. Hello, my friends. Alan Andrews speaking. So, gentlemen, what we have done is on the way up here, we did a Sefs on the road uh, diary style show and talked a little bit about Jimmy Vaughn and Eric Clapton. And we're going to hopefully be able to do a recap on our way home about what we saw at the concert. One of the things we did is talk about what either one or both of these artists meant to us or kind of what our hopes were. Uh, so, Alan, you'll be seeing Eric Clapton for the first time. Give us your thoughts. This is a bucket list guy for me. Um, I I, I wouldn't consider myself a, an uber fan like some of you guys are, but with the way that so many of these folks have been passing away, and I know you mentioned it on your last episode that I heard, it's totally true. And so we, we as in me and my wife, we've made the decision that we are not missing any opportunity to see any of these guys again. So that's why I'm here. And Joel? That sounds like a good reason to be here to me. I will echo those thoughts, say the same. Uh, he's also on my bucket list, first time seeing him f for me as well. So I'm really excited. Uh, Jimmy Vaughn, I didn't know he was gonna be here too, so that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm not a huge Fabulous Thunderbirds fan, and that's pretty much the extent of Jimmy Vaughn for me was his work with the T-Birds, but I'm excited to see him too. So I have a pretty specific memory, Alan, of being in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and this would have been, I guess, our sophomore year in high school. Okay, first time. Uh, yeah, first time, because we were there again as seniors. But when I, I picture you during that trip, you were wearing an Eric Clapton journeyman t-shirt. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I had obviously just gotten the cassette tape, I believe. That, that was what we were doing at that time. Probably, and, yes. And I wore that thing out. I think it was, uh, I think I was, I was in football or something like that. And I would come home from football practice, dead tired, worn out, and I'm no football player, don't get me wrong, but I've, I mean, these big guys would beat the heck out of me, 
come home, I'd be tired, I'd lay down on the bed, I would listen to that cassette tape, first side this day, second side the next day, and I damn near wore the thing out. Darn near, forgive me. <laughs> I will that slide. Enough, enough that you that you had a t-shirt. Where did the t-shirt come from, do you remember? I would guess Gadzook or Gadzooks or Spencer's. Oh yeah, that would make sense. Somewhere in the Longview Mall. Oh, so, Spencer's was around at that time. Oh, ab absolutely. That's like other than Dillard's and J.C. Penney is the only store in the mall that was there when we were kids. That's <laughs> but that's I I just remember that that quite well. So uh, that journeyman, as we talked about earlier in the episode, is a big player for me and always has been. It's been a big player for Alan. Um, what era of, of Clapton is are you drawn to most, Joel? Cream, I bet. I so I, I love, love Cream. Can't go wrong. Like uh, Eric's first album. As you know, I'm also a big J.J. Kale fan, so get some J.J. Uh, Kale covers on that first album of his. And what's his second album, 461 Ocean Boulevard? Was that his second or, second third, or third? Or So early. big fan of early Clapton. Uh, and obviously Cream, and even before that, when you have uh, been playing with John Mayall and the Blues Breakers, uh, which is, you know, the origin of Clapton is God and all that good stuff. So, big fan, of, big fan of early Eric Clapton, but, I mean, I like his stuff from the 80s, his pop stuff, and even on into the 90s when you get, you know, unplugged and all that good stuff, so, big fan of all of it, but... Early stuff I like a lot. You, you asked you asked Joel the same question we discussed, and he pretty much had the same answer as me, which is he likes it all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like how it all. How did you not like it all? But for all for for different reasons. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's kind of the sentiment that we had. So, Alan, um, if have you given any thought to thing or things that you hope you hear? Oh gosh. Um, Probably not what you want to hear on the podcast, but the short answer is no. I was I was in this for the experience with my dear friends tonight. That was basically my answer too. So. Oh, lovely. Okay, we're on the same page, I my had friend. No expectations in mind. Just wanted to go and be in the same room as Eric Clapton. I like it. That's how, that's where I am on the deal, and I wanted to experience this with you guys. So when we it's talked about it, and, and and yes, this is that this is going to add to it. This is a. A great, a great group, and we're going to enjoy that just as much as we do the show. When I, when I answered, I, I, I said I'm hoping that he views this as sort of a career retrospective, so that we'll get sort of the whole nine yards. And I'm also hoping we get to see him and Jimmy play together, mm. which they've have done in the past when they've when they've been in the same place. So that would be really really cool for me. The Jimmy part was definitely unexpected and, yeah. and a big surprise. I, the look on Josh's face and the reaction <laughs> when I told him about this was was legend. I was I was very thrilled thrilled to hear that. So I immediately forwarded that graphic to to Joel and Jacob and I said, How awesome is this? And and Jacob replied Prepaid parking? Question mark? Because that's what it said. <laughs> I, I thought I Apparently, he had seen it, it already, yeah. and so he didn't. I, I did not. I did not indicate what I was referring to. <laughs> I'm like, oh great, like, we're gonna not have to worry no, about parking. No, no, that's house. great too. <laughs> <laughs> and after we get loaded down with a a monster burrito from the Freebird, we'll be making our way to Dickie's Arena here in the town of the Cow, Fort Worth. So. 
that's uh, where we stand in our Seth's on the Road episode trip diary. Oh, we didn't ask Joel what he what he expected from the show. Oh, okay. That's, a, that's cool. Y'all care about my expectations. Oh. <laughs> well, not really, but since you're well, here, that, you what, what do you hope? I, I'm just, after all that build-up, and now you brought it back in, I just said wanted, wanted to see Slowhand live yep. and in person. I'm ready to see Eric Clapton do Eric Clapton things with his guitar. Here's, here's one thing I, I thought I had before we got here that I wanted to bring up. Um, to you especially, Joel, that he's known for playing many different guitars over his career, not just Black yes, and Strat. Correct. You've got... Uh, the B&O Bars, Les Paul, you've got uh-huh. the SG-335. The classic painted over SG. Yes. Yeah, Cherry 335. Before he moves on to the Strat, it pretty much stays there. So uh-huh. anytime I've seen videos of him in later times, live videos, he's always on the Strat unless he's yeah. playing acoustic. Yeah. So my thought is, will we see him change electric guitars? I... I'm wondering unless, if that's going to be the case. Unless he plays a song in an alternate tuning, I would not expect him to play anything other so than the, other than the Strat. But if we could get a beautiful humbucker you know, SG at Les Paul kind of sound when you get some cream woman tone, as they call it, if we can get a live example of the woman tone, as it's called, that would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. This section of Gearhead Corner brought to you by Jacob and Joel. <laughs> I'm here I had to for get it. That in. I'm here for it. That is their area. These these guitar these guitar playing and collecting fellows. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right. Well, we're gonna go have a burrito. We'll check back in with you in a little bit. All right, Alan. What Eric Clapton song would you like us to play for the Seth's crowd? I guess we would have to use "Into Bad Love" there off of Journeyman. Oh, uh, good choice. A great selection.
alive. Hello, friends. <laughs> We're post-concert. Yeah. Post-great concert. <laughs> it was so great. We saw Jimmy Vaughn, and then we saw Eric Clapton. I'm going to reserve... Saw Jimmy Vaughn and Eric Clapton. Yes. In the encore. So, I'm going to reserve most of my comments for a little bit later when we do our recap. But while let's, we let's still have opportunity, from, yeah. I want to hear from the guys. Let's Joel? Alan and Joel. Your man, initial take. Man, I'm still, for once in my life, relatively speechless. Uh, just getting to see... Like I said before the show, I wanted to see Slowhand do Slowhand things, and I saw Slowhand do Slowhand things. <laughs> Absolutely. And it was incredible. For, for me, it was... I, I, this is Alan. I'll, I'll pop in and just say, for me, it was the the emotions that I witnessed on my brethren's faces and body language while all this was happening. I, I was feeling it, too. But when I look over at these guys who are much more music aficionados than I am and the emotional, visceral reactions they were feeling, I could not help myself but feel emotional too. I couldn't help but keep my hands on, you know, I was, I was touching Josh, I was touching Joel, <laughs> I, was re- I was reaching over to, reaching over to hold, hold Jacob's hand and make sure that he was feeling it too. And it was a, it was a, it was a cerebral thing for me. There you go. Yeah. Edit, edit the f- out of that. <laughs> I don't believe I will. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it was uh, it was incredible. It really was. And just to sit there and, and listen to certainly the greatest guitar player alive. Well, he is. A- if not the greatest guitar player that has ever lived. I think play maybe the that's guitar. true. I think maybe that's true. Um I mean, we talked about this in, the, in you know, the last episode that we were on all together. Um, I mean, his only competition is Hendrix, let's just be honest. And Hendrix doesn't have the body of work that Clapton does. No, I think that's the point that was made. And I yeah. Agree. And so, I mean, you, I feel comfortable saying, I mean, we sat, sat there and listened to the greatest guitar player of all time we for, for about an hour room. and a half. We were in the same room as the guy. It's really hard not to, even in a relatively large building, I mean, that's not a massive arena, but, you know, what do you think, maybe 8,000 people? I'd probably say more than that. Being capacity I don't have any idea. in there? Well, it, it felt intimate to me. Yeah. Yeah, I no, mean, it definitely felt that way. That, I would guess something in that range, um, give or take. But even in that, the, the, the smallness that, that you feel being in the presence uh, of, of someone like that that you know has seen and done so many things that long before any of us were born were uh, accomplished so much. Okay, I'll comment. Yeah, when, when, when he started playing, I leaned over to Josh and said, while my guitar get, gently weaves, here we are. Yep, yeah. that's the guy. Yep, that is. I mean, 60 years ago-ish, 57 years ago-ish. Something like that. I mean, don't have, you don't have to give me a, an exact about number. About 55 but years. The, the man was standing on stage in front of us. Yep. He hits I Shot the Sheriff. Oh, my gosh. That was the highlight for me. For me, that it was, too. It was, too. I, I, yeah, I think that was... I think that's he laid it all out for yeah, that song. Yeah, I liked it's, the, the yeah. slow intro 
building its way up to it until they and it was yeah. right before he started his acoustic set so that was kind of a finale yeah, for the first, the first part of his concert yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and it, just, it, that was solid I just love how the song I don't know how long it was because I, I just lost all track of time during the show yes. <laughs> yeah. but that song went on for a good bit but there was so much dynamism like they started quiet they built up the groove and then they got really loud, and the groove was awesome. And then he came down; the the whole band came down, mm-hmm. and he just played that long solo. It just—he's such a great soloist, just because of how he uses dynamics. And he goes all—he brings you all the way to the top, and then brings it home. Two uh, drummers, two background singers, um, two keyboardists. Um, Nathan East on bass, of course, and Dual Bram Hall the second on the second guitar. What a strange guy. I've uh, forgotten all about him. Doyle Bramhall? Yes. We'll talk more about him. Yeah, I have some other things to say there. You but, should. That guy was impressive. Uh, but he is, he is really, really good. Uh, really a fine band, but as Clapton is wont to do, you know, he's, he's not up there just to showcase himself. And so on fully half, maybe more of the songs, we got trade-out solos where everyone took um, took 12 bars or 24. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, man. But Joel, like we were talking about before the show, uh, would he change guitars? And of course, he did not. No. I didn't expect he, him to. He didn't a lot. He did a couple of times. He switched to the uh, Well, he switched to the acoustic. He went to the acoustic. Yeah. He played the black one. And then he played the acoustic one. Yeah. That was it. He that took was it. guitars the whole time. And I think it's interesting, the, the the band setting, two drummers and two keyboardists, key players on organ and on keys, piano. Yeah, you have one guy playing the Hammond and then uh, Chris State, Staten or Stanton, um, who has played with everybody from Joe Cocker to The Who over playing the piano. Uh, but that's great to be able to have the piano and the Hammond going and, and definitely useful for blues music, which I, there was a lot of. I think it was it was important also to keep some rhythm going because, I mean, let's be honest as well. You know, Clapton is not any younger. We already said that. And so he wasn't playing a lot of, uh, of lead stuff. He was, he was kind of letting everybody else, you know, play and do rhythm and lead stuff. Not to say that he didn't play a bunch of solos, but I think he was he was more spare in his own playing, maybe to conserve his uh, his energy, perhaps. Possibly, although that is something that he's kind of always done. Uh, he has always been willing to let somebody else step out there. He has never, when he is on stage, dominated the spotlight. But at the very least, I mean, I thought the same thing. But at the very least. That's a good way for him. To, he didn't have to do the heavy lifting the whole night. No, he did not. But don't get it wrong. He, I mean, but when, when he did. Was, when it was slow hand time, it was slow hand no, time. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not trying to, to take away from yeah. that. All right. All right, gentlemen. I gotta ask, I, I'll ask the question I asked of each of you while we were in the, in the arena. Are you looking at the man? Are you looking at the screen? That, that, was, the, that was the challenge, the balancing act uh, as a guitarist. Yeah. I was watching. You wanted to see the fingers. Wanted to see the fingers. You wanted to see the fingers. I wanted to see the fingers, but at the same time, like you said, you, you want to pay attention to the man and really well, take in the fact that you're staring down at Eric Clapton. The interesting, you pose an interesting question, Alan, because really the the man and the picture are the same. But then again, 
if I want to watch uh, the fingers, I can go on YouTube and yeah. say the same thing. So I did try to to look down on the stage and you know take it in, but as a guitarist as well, you know I'm wanting to see up close and just revel in the fact that uh, what I'm watching on screen is actually the guy down there on stage at yeah. the same time. You, know? you, you got to split your attention a little bit. I think so. You know, it's interesting. He mentioned that you know due to the pandy, it's been a couple of years since he played, and the last concert he played was right here in Fort Worth. And so he returns to the road, very gracious and thankful to be able to do so. But doesn't his voice sound good? I, I noted does. the same thing, mm -hmm. uh, that he sounds really, really good. I mean... Of course, he's been singing kind of in that style for 30 years now. Well, yeah. Josh and I talked before uh, we met up with y'all that he, he, Eric Clapton is one of the guys whose voice hasn't changed that much over the years. Yeah. And he's. I think that's a lucky thing for him. Well, it is because you've you've got these songs, and he's still he's still playing them in the same key. Yeah, and yeah, he is. I know sometimes people have to change that. And is is that a thing? It's as a very age, very common thing. They'll, they'll shift the keys to yeah. fit their yeah. their Paul aging voices. Okay, Joel has done it. Okay. Um, has done it a no, lot. Paul McCartney does not do it. Okay. He refuses to do it. He probably should, <laughs> but he refuses to do it. Fleetwood Mac has done it for years. Um, Lindsey Buckingham even recently said if, in fact, he's able to get back with them, they'll probably lower the keys some more. Uh, you know, when Led Zeppelin reformed in 2005, they were, they were all lower keys. And, you know, it's just not the same when it's... Hey, hey, mama said the way you move, gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. <laughs> it's just yeah. not quite the same. Well, you know, Clapton's never been one to do a lot of vocal gymnastics, which makes, no. it, makes it much easier. I mean, the melody lines are, for the most part, pretty simple and in a you know, sensible register for his natural voice, which, you know, he still uses. So I think, yeah. I think also there's a, a certain um, ease of when you're playing blues, there's an ease... Uh, and familiarity to playing in E, or sure. playing in A or D, because or G, I guess G, uh, G minor, as was the case with I Shot the Sheriff. But you know, most of the stuff I noticed was in E or A, and so you know that's familiar. Yeah, that's your guitar keys. Open notes and you know open strings and that kind of thing. So, and pretty easy keys to sing in yeah, for the most so part. Also, it would probably not be so great for them to do a lot of weird keys as a blues band. So, I, I want to ask uh, this question. Obviously, someone like Clapton, you know, plays for an hour and 40 minutes or whatever it was. He could play for four hours, and there's still going to be things that he doesn't play that you wish he'd play. Sure. What, what is a song that comes to mind that you'd like to have heard that you didn't get? Alan. I started with Bad Love earlier. I'll stick with that one. <laughs> You, the, but we talked about several others. I won't steal anybody else's thunder. Joel. So you're making me name one, huh? Yeah, or you can name a couple. I don't care. Well, I'll, I'll give a category of song. You, we all know I'm a big Cream fan. I yeah, would love more, to hear a Cream song. More Cream. Yeah, I, other than Crossroads. Which, we got I mean, Crossroads. Yeah, we did get Crossroads. but That's a cover anyway. Yeah. Well, sure. Standard. Yeah. But, you know, would have loved to hear a Cream song as far as... Clapton songs go, um, and this is this is a cover too. I mentioned this. I would have loved to hear a JJ Kale cover, 
Uh, so I would have loved to have heard Cocaine. Uh, I would have liked to have heard Lay Down Sally. This is a personal personal favorite of mine. I'm closer to the country vibe, I guess yeah. it is, yeah. a little bit. So that would have been cool to hear. So those are probably, you know, not that I had any complaints about it. No, sandwich, no. But no complaints at all. Would have been cool to hear. I agree with everything you said. Yeah. Jacob, cool anything come to mind, Jacob? Well, the first thing that came to mind was, of course, cocaina. Yes. Cocaina. I really wanted to cocaina. hear that. Um, but yeah, you know, again, going with Joel, I think that if we heard something more like Lay Down Sally, we could have brought another element. We could have brought a country and western type of thing to it, you know. Here in Texas. Both kinds. Both yeah, kinds. both kinds, country and western. Um, but, you know, I'm just happy. I'm just happy to be there, really. And yeah. That's what it comes down to. I do, you know, I just feel like whenever they ended and then before they came back on for the encore, I, I didn't think, it didn't feel like they were done, you know? Yeah. But I just, I could have, I could have sat for another two hours. And sure. Listened, you know? So. If, if I were going to, to say one thing, agreeing with everything that, that y'all have said, I, you know, the last time that I saw him, I've mentioned it with Steve Winwood. Um, he played the acoustic version of Layla that time. So I have seen that before. We got that again tonight, and it was fantastic. It was awesome. It was awesome. But I really would have liked to have heard Electric Layla. Yeah. Um, that's something that will probably escape all of us being able to see live, and that's that's unfortunate. Josh, after after hearing the acoustic Layla, I want to listen to Electric Layla on my drive home tomorrow, so that I can compare and 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 feel those lyrics in an entirely different sure. way, and I intend to do so. I mentioned mentioned on the drive up the the version of the song that I sang in high school, so while that was going on, I had to take a quick picture and tag those three girls that sang with me on Facebook. Oh, is, that who, is that who that was? Yes, those are the three girls. <laughs> well, we have arrived back at the hotel. We're going to split up now and go our separate ways. Joel, back to Waco. Alan across the way to the hotel and Jacob and I back to Longview where we will join you again in a few minutes. But special thanks to Alan and Joel both for being here and in particular to Alan who will say, shall we say, uh, helped with the arrangements for this evening. God bless you, sir. I would like to offer for Alan or Joel to have a last word before we sign off. Absolutely. Mm. I love my brethren. That's all I've got to say about I these so fine people I so enjoyed this evening here. with you, Alan, I have to say. Thank you, friend. Yeah, it's been nothing but a pleasure. Uh, I mentioned this on the way out. I said, this uh, this may be my uh, my all-star team for concert. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Going. It was strong. This is a yeah, strong, this is a awesome. strong, enjoyable, pleasant group to attend a concert. So hopefully this is, uh, maybe the first, but hopefully will not, not the be last. the last. Shall, oh. we, shall we do it again, fellas? I think yes. we should. <laughs> and now, we should. In, indeed. indeed. <laughs> and now we let Alan choose a song to segue into the concert and after. And so, Joel, will you choose a song for us to play as we go into our last segment? Yeah. Well, we didn't get it in. Uh, we didn't get it in the concert. So let's listen to "Lay Down, Sally." Let's do it. Let's All right. Do it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. That is wrong in wanting you to stay here with me. 
I've got somewhere to go But won't you make yourself at home And stay with me And don't you ever leave Lay down salad And rest here in my arms Don't you think you want someone to talk to Lay down salad No need to leave so soon I've been trying all night long Just to talk to you
Kentucky beaver cheese. It said turkey, so I mean, if it's beaver, then I think we're going to have a lawsuit in our hands. All right. So, I want to say thanks one more time to a great friend of the podcast, Alan Andrews, and to Joel for joining us for this show and, well, for the Eric Clapton show and the podcast at hand. It was so great to have Alan on, and we've had Joel on a bunch of times. Thanks to them, especially to Alan. And uh, I have to go ahead and foreshadow that we will have some other special guests with us in a later part of the episode, won't we, Josh? That's the plan. We're not going to tell them about it either. No, just like we didn't tell these guests about it. We just kind of said, all right, now you're talking. <laughs> Alan saw the... the um, the microphone appear on the back of his console and he said, well, I guess I'm going to be recorded. <laughs> anyway. He's an engineer. He puts things together. Indeed. Quickly. Indeed. He's quick like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> to the task at hand. Eric, Eric Clapton. What's your initial thoughts, Josh, beyond... You see, because as it stands, it was about... What was it? At least an hour ago when we were all together, the four of us, wasn't it? An hour mm-hmm. and a half. Yeah. So we've had some discussions a little bit. We've had some time to process the whole thing as we eat our Bucky's snacks. So, what more have you to say about the show? You well, think? I'd like to start. I'd like to start with just mentioning a few words about Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy's seventy and still rocking. And I enjoyed the fact that of the first, I believe, four songs he played, three of them were the instrumental DFW from the Vaughn Brothers, Good Texan from the Vaughn Brothers album, and Texas Flood. So That was cool that he played Texas Flood. Good Texas songs, and I was most amused by the fact that he got down to the end of his set, and he only played about 40 minutes. Uh, but he got down to the end of his set and played the same the same song that that I played for you earlier in this uh, in our episode, Boom Baba Boom. That was funny that he came around to that. And so um, it was it was good to see Jimmy, and he he got the appetites whetted for for what was to come. An even older guitar player. Well, older by about six years. The time had come to the end of Jimmy's set. He didn't play as long as... I I thought he was going to play longer. But I got up. The two nice ladies at the end of the row, I said, excuse me, I just... Excuse me one more time. I'm so sorry. They're like, don't knock over my wine. Excuse but, me, nice lady. <laughs> <laughs> don't knock over my wine. It's right there. They said that to us multiple times. Many times, every time somebody got a watch out for the wine. It's expensive. It was expensive though. I got up and went to the restroom and got a got a coke. Uh, and I guess I milled around too long. Saw Josh's brother outside. Said hello. And as I was coming back from the bathroom, I heard the noise, the crowd, the roar of the crowd, and I knew that I was going to be late to get back to my seat. That's when I heard the opening bars of Pretending absolutely from his uh, from intro. his album uh, Journeyman and that was awesome 
honestly one of my one of my favorite songs of the night. I mean, that just really set the tone for me. It sounded great. Um, Eric sounded great on guitar and his voice. Just incredible at, at that age. He sounds the same. I mean... Really, really great. It, it's hard to believe that when Journeyman was released... You were like nine? He was... I uh, was 14. What? Um, I thought it was 85. No, 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 no. Journeyman's 89, I oh, believe. excuse me, excuse me. Um, so are you okay? Um, but he was younger when he released Journeyman than I am now. <laughs> Which is, I guess he would have been 44. Yeah, yeah really hard to believe. <laughs> and even then, he was kind of considered the already... Middle-aged. Yeah, I, certainly. The middle-aged rocker and everything. And little, little could I ever have dreamed that 30 years later, not only would he still be performing him, but that I'd have the opportunity to see him sing pretending which is such such a great tune so we thought we would just go down the set list and, and just make some general comments maybe Absolutely. maybe a little bit maybe we'll have some just some more to say about one song than another but we already started with pretending off his uh, album journeyman we move on to an old standard key to the highway which was originally recorded by him on his album with Derek and the dominoes layla and other assorted love songs which we already talked about. And I did wonder if we were going to hear songs from that album outside of Layla. And it turns out that we got three of them. I guess technically four of them. That's, among, that's amongst wild. the whole set. I didn't expect that. That's wild. Good, good old blues number. Recognizable right, right from the start. So, starting in the late 80s, going back to the early 70s, and we were off and running. Next song... I'm your I'm your Venus yes that was the next song I'm your fire your desire am I wrong about that yes oh okay what was it uh Hoochie Coochie Man ah yes the great Hoochie Coochie Man another one of those songs that that he covered on From the Cradle in about 94 we've talked about it you know he had Hoochie Coochie Man on the radio the old Willie Dixon standard and it was that was that was just great I mean the show was off and running at that point I'm about as happy as I've been at a concert to go from pretending to uh, to Derek and the Dominoes and then back to reaching way back in the machine and getting the Hoochie Coochie Man great stuff and then we get to the fourth track which for me was an absolute highlight. I agree. And as soon as they launched into this quiet little drum beat, slightly reggae sounding, I thought, this is it. We're fixing to get hit with some I Shot the Sheriff. Yeah. And so it was. Yeah, you knew, and they, they jump in on, uh, what is it, G minor, I think, is the key that yeah, song is in. Yeah, it is, is the in. key of G minor, that's right. And it's, uh, you, you hear that, and you know where they're noodling, and you know where they're going, and it's just a matter of of time as he's playing all those little lead licks and the band is keeping it keeping it quiet and working its way up you know it's just a matter of time before they're gonna get some nice big drum smacks and then that recognizable <laughs> riff 
drum smacks. Drum smacks. Them drums really smacked. They smacked. They smacked hard. They hit different. They, <laughs> they low-key hit different. We're making reference to our conversation at dinner, um, keeping Alan apprised of of all the modern vernacular, the, the parlance of our of our times, at least for us young folk, as it as it stems from pokey. But yes, well, we already talked a little bit about I shot the sheriff in our segment with with the other two. Probably I, was the strongest performance of the night. Yeah. Uh, one of one of a couple of that would be in contention for best but it was a spoken version man. it was i just again i just love how it, this is not this is this is a, a standard um a standard feature when they when i've seen videos of them do this live they always really stretch it out and really play with the dynamics amongst clapton soloing and the band as a whole i just love how he's again i'll say i just love how he started at the bottom at his solo now he's here Yes, the whole team here. He started low and quiet on the solo, yeah. and then he wadded up eventually to a crescendo to the top, and then he just brought the dang thing on home towards the end. Yeah, that was, was awesome. Joel mentioned that he was just in the zone. Uh, it's so cool to see him with his head thrown back and his eyes shut and just—he's feeling it. And feeling it, yeah. And that—that that did mark the end of the first section of their show because then the stage went quiet and, and dark and they came out with a chair um, for a clap for Eric they took his he took his jacket off and sat down and we had some acoustic songs which was a cool you know it was a cool way to you know just section off your uh, off the show right you know, talking about as we mentioned earlier the career retrospective well now he played a few songs from you know generally an earlier era um, starting with a apparently a, a live debut of an instrumental that I referred to as an acoustic interlude in my set list but it was called Carrie K-E-R-R-Y he yes. said it was for a friend of theirs I, he did not elaborate elaborate on that he any further not. but it was a really nice it was really nice tasteful instrumental I bet it was a good way for what I'm thinking is it was a good way for them to get get their get the sound all fixed up and maybe adjusted if they Probably. needed. Um, so then they launch into a song that I hadn't heard, and all he said was a song for uh, another friend of theirs, Peter Green, who was the original, I believe, the original guitarist, lead, yeah. lead guitarist of Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, the original founding member of Fleetwood Mac, who died not too long ago. Yeah. And of course, really the only. The only original line of Fleetwood Mac songs I know are Albatross and Black Magic Woman. But we, we later discovered the name of the song off of a website called Setlist FM. Somebody else knew the songs. They posted it online. You can pretty much get, if, especially if you're a bigger artist, any show pretty much has a, has a set list, doesn't it? Any artist. Yeah, and uh, you can use that to put your set list for the shows you go to on there. And if it's smaller artists, or regional artists, you can put the songs in there. And that's where I keep all my all my shows and all the concerts I've attended so that I can go back and refer to them, which is coming very handy while recording our podcast. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, after the Peter Green, the, the Fleetwood Mac song, we launch into another song from Layla 
which is another um, standard, another classic called Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out. And it was in the style of um, Unplugged, right. which we discussed, which was fun to hear. And then from there, um, probably maybe the quintessential acoustic Eric Clapton song, Tears in Heaven. The song which uh, we've, you know, we've already discussed was, um, was written along with um, Kilgore, written along with a man who grew up in Kilgore named uh, Will Jennings, which was about his, uh, the tragic death of his young son. That, that was special. It to, was to a hear that. gorgeous performance. And it was a little different. It had a little bit of a different feel from the unplugged version to me, the arrangement. But I appreciated it a lot. It was really, really good. They're they're really in a in a room with however many thousand people were in there. There there was not a whisper. Yeah, there really wasn't. It, it except was towards the end, pretty when, solid. except towards the end when there was some guy from maybe down below talking about how Slowhand is the greatest of all time or whatever. Some, somebody was screaming unnecessarily. Not, that. not not a good look, buddy. Not a good look, buddy. Yeah, that was that was not the best time to shout out. I know you wanted to be heard, like those guys who shout out at the at the golfers after they hit their drive. Everybody's trying to shout and get on TV or whatever. That was not very nice. That, that was meant to be a, you know, a beautiful moment, more somber, if you really. Yes, but it, it was great. It was very nice. And then the uh, the finale of the acoustic part of the set was, of course, Layla, which uh, we already talked about in the previous segment. That was, that was fun. I, I pretty much expected that we would hear that. Now, again, the conjecture over whether we would hear electric Layla or acoustic Layla. I would have taken either one. Sure. I was just glad to hear it. At that point, uh, I believe that Eric leaves the stage. He walks in between the two drummers and goes to the back for a second. We can see him sit down. Maybe he's just taking a breather. A little drum solo. And then he comes back on the stage and engages his wah-wah pedal. And we hear a song which I wasn't sure, neither of us were sure what it was. Did you know? Which one was this it? This is the one that's um, got to get better in a little while. This oh. is a, We learned this is an outtake from Layla again, from Derek and the Dominoes, period. That was, I liked it though. Mm-hmm. It was a good it's song. Pretty smoking. Yeah, a nice groove, good riff, and just good jamming. And I think he's played it several times. I think it may be on one of the Crossroads compilations. Okay. We'll have to go see if we can find that play it. Uh, after that... The song which Josh said, I don't know if you said it on the show or not, but you, either way, you told me that you would be fine if you never heard this song again. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful Tonight. No, nice no. performance. Here's what it is. You know what's interesting that I noticed was that he didn't go into that riff at the beginning. No, he was playing kind of like a version of it. But he, but the chords go, I'm pretty sure, G and then D over F sharp, and then E minor, I think. Something like that. He didn't do, he didn't play the riff. I was, that was weird. Yeah, it was a different version. Yeah, kind of cloaking the, (laughs) 
like everybody should have exclaimed once they once they heard that riff, but mm-hmm. he didn't play it. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. And then after that, another song which I hadn't heard. It's actually a Robert Johnson cover called "Little Queen of Spades." Robert, yes. Robert Johnson being um, a legendary and mythical guitarist from the twenties, I believe, or thirties. Well, not mythical. He existed. Well, but I mean, there's a lot. There's lots of mystery built up around. There's him. a lot of mystery and legend. There's only there. like two pictures of him that we know to exist, and he he basically disappeared. I don't know that they ever found oh, out what the happened. Devil. To him. At well, the at the crossroads, yeah. So I mean, uh, you know what I mean. But I was not was not familiar with that particular number either. But, but it was good. Yeah, and as we already said talking about the crossroads that was that was the last song of the show before the encore was crossroads which is you know it goes back to robert johnson it's an old song and that's been covered by everybody you know cream did it john mayer did it everybody in between and that was cool um it didn't feel like the end it didn't feel like the end of the show to me. Yeah. of course it wasn't technically but you know yeah, but we only got a single encore. Usually, and it was a very fascinating choice. High time we went, which I learned later was is a Joe Cocker song. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fun. It, it was a great song, but uh, and it you know gave everybody. Jimmy came out with him, gave everybody a chance to do one more round of solos, and that's as as good a time as any for us to talk about the band. Yeah, we need to talk about the band. We found out some interesting things. Some people were recognized immediately. Some names we didn't. Um, particularly a guy I hadn't thought about in a long time, the guitarist that was with him. Where do you um, want to start? Yeah, let's let's start with the guys that I already knew on site. Um, one, one being bass player Nathan East, who's been playing with him for 30 years or more, and who has played with many many of, of the musicians of the last 30 years. I'll, I'll give you a list from Wikipedia yeah. at, the, at the top of his, his article. Yeah. Uh, he has recorded, performed, and co-written songs with performers such as outside of Clapton, Michael Jackson, Joe Satriani, Peter Gabriel, George Harrison, Ringo Starr, Phil Collins, Stevie Wonder, Toto, Kenny Loggins, Daft Punk, Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock, and I believe later in the article it mentioned Sting as well. And so, just a laundry list of anybody who's anybody. It seems like the biggest people. When you you play with Herbie Hancock. That's crazy. And Eric Clapton. Yeah. And, 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 and. Yeah, I mean, you're running the the gamut there. When you play with another legendary bass player like Sting, you know, that's, you know, come on. Sure. I think it's incredible, but we already said, Josh and I, privately, before we started this segment, that if you're Eric Clapton, you can get anybody to play with you that you want. Which speaks highly for those he chooses. Yes. And he has had, as his second guitarist for a long time, Doyle Bramhall II, or Doyle Bramhall II. Which is a Dallas, another Dallas native. Uh, of course, Doyle Bramhall's father, Doyle Bramhall Sr., was riding partner to Stevie Ray Vaughan. And a childhood friend of the Vaughn bon- Brothers. Mm-hmm. And grew up together and many, many of the classic Stevie Ray songs um, 
were co-written or written by Doyle Bramhall Sr., who was a drummer, and put out one album in uh, the early 90s. Uh, it's a fine little blues record. If you want to look that up, you should do it. It's called Bird Nest on the Ground. Um, and I've never met Doyle Bramhall too, but I did meet Doyle Bramhall Sr. Oh, really? Yes, he played at Alley Fest. Not too long after Bird Nest on the Ground came out. Again, Alley Fest mentioned. And yeah, and I sat, I was sitting right in front of his drum kit. He was playing the drums and he had his little band with him and he was singing these songs and talking about them. You know, singing You Can't Change It and all this stuff. Well, and, and he stops right in the middle um, and takes a little break. And so I was 17. I remember I was 17 at the time, so this would have been 92. And I went out and shook his hand and said, you know, nice to meet you and everything. And he seemed shocked that a 17-year-old kid would know who he was. <laughs> but not as shocked as he was when I pulled out the cover from his CD that I already had. Oh, you asked him to sign And it. had him sign it for me. So I have wow. an autographed copy of Doyle Bramhall's Bird Nest on the Ground. That is cool. I didn't know that. Pretty, pretty neat. But his boy, Doyle Bramhall, too, Golly. can flat play. He's a but, lefty. But, but, mm. but, but. This is something that I cannot wrap my head around. And I don't know anybody who does, anybody else who does, I'm sure there's others, but I don't know anybody else who does this. So, he is a left-handed player. He's left-handed. Mm -hmm. But, he has, that's, it's, it, how he learned guitar was, he took a right-hander's guitar, totally standard, he simply flips it over, and plays it just like it is. Now, I cannot understand that. Well, okay, so to go back, with the standard guitar, no matter who you are, the the lowest no, the lowest string is always on the top. Mm -hmm. It goes low to high as you're looking down at the guitar. The, the, the highest string is on the bottom. But that's totally flipped. And so all of the conventional ways of playing chords and all that stuff is backwards. And it's something, I just can't fathom it. It's like we needed to have, we needed to have every iteration of possible ways to play guitar. Like Jimi Hendrix, he was a lefty, but he flipped over a Strat, except that he, he turned the strings to the, how they should be. And then you have a guy like Steve Miller who decided to be clever he took a left-handed guitar and he flipped it over to right-handed and he changed the strings. Have you ever seen him do that? It's kind of pretentious, honestly. But then we have Doyle Bramall Hall, who, <laughs> I don't know, whatever the case is, he is playing rhythm and lead guitar with Eric Clapton, so you can't argue. I mean, <laughs> however he chooses to play, he can it, it play. definitely creates some subtle differences. He's also one who will play with a pick and his thumb or fingers yeah. sometimes at the same time. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that what you talked about the interesting sound is that right-hander, you know, well, I guess it's anybody. If your guitar is, if the strings are set up like I just said, then you usually most likely will bend upwards when you're trying to bend a string to make the pitch go up. Mm -hmm. He pulls down, and so it does sound a little different, yeah. and especially if, if you're like a super good guitar player, if your ear is trained really well, you can probably hear more of a difference. But it is something that's strange. 
one, one other thing about Doyle Bramhall, too. Um, after Stevie Ray died, um, Doyle Bramhall was playing with another Austin-based guitarist, Charlie Sexton, who, um, with the two of them, took Tommy Shannon and Whipper Layton from Double Trouble, took Double Trouble, and recorded an album uh, they used to, uh, they named it after the Austin Recreation Center, the ARC, and called themselves Archangels. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. It is one of, I, I love that record, and there are several good songs. Sometime, we won't do it this episode, but sometime I'll play you a couple of the tunes from that. So um, that's another familiarity that I had with, with Doyle Bramhall. And uh, like I said, he played with Charlie Sexton, who many years later I saw with Bob Schneider in Austin. Really? So all sorts of connections musically, which is one of the fun things about doing this. So many and connections. There's a lot of connections coming with the rest of this band. Tell us about some of the other well, guys. Well, I want to go back to Doyle okay. and talk about not only is he worked there at Clapton, he's also worked um, with Roger Waters of Pink Floyd, bass player with Pink Floyd. Uh, he's worked with Elton John. He's collaborated with, um, with Elton John, with the Tedeschi Trucks Band and Dirt Trucks, mm -hmm. um, Amos Lee, Cheryl uh, Crow, um, lots of old, older musicians and newer musicians. And he's only 50. He's like 52. Mm -hmm. So it's he's a really interesting guy, and I totally forgot about him until I until we saw him. And me and Joel were just <laughs> looking at each other the whole time, like how strange is this? But at the same time, I noticed that there were two drummers, and one of them seemed so familiar to me, and I texted Josh this during the show when he was sitting at the other end of the four of us, um, but then I was reading an article about the tour, and it turns out that one of the drummers' name was Steve Gadd, and I thought, wait a second. That is a legendary That's name. That's where I, Steve Gadd is his name. I had no idea. Chiefly, for our purposes, he played the drum solo, the drums. He played drums on the track Asia from from, from the Sealy Dead album of the same name. Legendary drum he solo He has played, part. but he has played all over the place. Anybody, hold on, let me read you his little spiel as well because no, he did the incredible. percussion on 50 Waves to Leave Your Lover by Paul Simon. Yes, I know. he did. He did. But I particularly love I mean, the, the, the drums on Asia are I mean, those are the thing, the stuff of legends. And Donna Walt just praised him up and down. Yep. I had no idea that's who we were seeing uh, as one of the drummers until uh, after the fact. And so, so much are his credits that he is actually has an actually an entire an entire Wikipedia page dedicated to his discography alone. <laughs> but here's um, from the top of his Wikipedia article, which summarizes. He has worked with popular musicians from many genres. Shaw, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, Steely Dan, James Taylor, Harry Chapin, Joe Copper, Chick Corea, um, uh, Kenny Loggins, besides their Clapton, uh, and everybody in between. So he has been all over the place. And the same thing as well with his co-drummer, Sonny Emery, who has also played on Steely Dan's 2002 album, Two Against Nature. So we have two Steely Dan connected drummers. <laughs> Alright, 2000. Huh? You're 2000. 
excuse me, that's right, year 2000. Um, and then who else do we have? Uh, you mentioned that you found out Chris Stainton, he was one of the keyboard players, he played piano, he was mm -hmm. closest to us, and he played with Joe Cocker, is that right? Mm-hmm, and played with The Who at some point, and several others. But I thought it was interesting since they did a Joe Cocker cover at the end that, yeah. that he had played with, with Joe Cocker. And then I noticed the name of the other guy, the other keyboard player who played um, Hammond organ, Paul Carrick. I looked at the name and I thought, Paul Carrick? And that's familiar to me. So again, I go to my trusty old Wikipedia, and if you know the song... How Long by a band called Ace. That's who that is. That rips me out, man. But I, I had but, no idea. But I, well, he sang. He sang. He sang lead vocals on that last song. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, he's a great singer. And his Wikipedia article has a quote from um, a magazine called The Record Collector. If vocal talent equaled financial success, Paul Carrick would be a bigger name than people such as Phil Collins or Elton John. And he, he is a good singer. I thought he was great. Oh, yeah, he was great. But he, too, um, has is associated with Ringo Starr. And also, um, Roger Waters, apparently. Uh, Mike and the Mechanics. Um, Eagles, as well. Roxy Music. And so, truly, a, um, a serious band that Eric Clapton has got here to back him. Yeah, a lot of, of legendary... Uh, performers, really, uh, studio and road musicians, to create a, a really fine little band that sounded great. Uh, they were really in mid-tour form. They were in mid-tour form, although it was their first show. Right. They, they, he is only playing a few dates in, in the United States. There was a, a 15 dates planned in Europe, but they were not able to proceed due to a coronavirus, um, uh, Euro panty. Yeah. <laughs> so, we've talked about Jimmy. We've talked about Eric. We've talked about the band. We've talked about the show. Any final thoughts, Josh? I'm glad we were able to do that. I am too. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is, you never know if that might not be the last opportunity. And, and taking the, the opportunity to do it or taking the time to do it, rather. You know, we're going to be we're going to be pulling in about two o'clock. Jacob's then going to go home. He's got to be at work at what eight thirty in the morning. Yep. Uh, Josh, I gotta, you've got to leave early in the morning uh, to go about your job. Yeah, I don't. I don't have to leave just real early, but I haven't packed or anything, and I so I'll need to go ahead and get up to do that. And Joel's got to drive back. He's got class. Driving, so, driving back to Waco. Yeah, he's, he's already back. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> At this point. His trip is short. His trip was much shorter than ours from Fort Worth. But. It was all worth it, though. Absolutely it was. Great evening. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll finish out here with maybe maybe one more, one more tune. Um, what do you say... What do you say we do one from the show? What do you say we do? How about... What do you think? Oh, I don't know. You choose. Oh, okay. Um, you want to choose one from the set list? 
Yeah, let's give him one from the the set list. What about I Shot the Sheriff? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it won't. It might not be as great as as the version we saw, but it's certainly the classic. Well, There's, I think I, what I'll do is I'll. There's a particularly good recording on YouTube that I remember. It's from the mid 2000s. Uh, a live show he did. Oh, perfect! It's perfectly good. It gives you an idea of what we heard tonight. Perfect, perfect. So that sounds great. We'll play you out with a live version of "I Shot the Sheriff," and we will be um, on the other side of that song. We'll, we'll be returning to you on Friday, September 17th, as we go back to Dallas Fort Worth area to see another band. First time for me. County Crows. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm interrupting this excellent recording to tell you that, as you heard at the beginning of the episode, this is side A of episode 21. Uh, We decided to separate this project into two parts because we simply recorded for too long on this episode and didn't want to have to edit everything down heavily all our comments and reactions. So after this uh, performance of I Shot the Sheriff, we'll conclude Side A, and you'll be hearing from us next week with Side B.